they say. Well, we thought that things would work out in the end, but friends are not friends and enemies are so close to me. I don't know who you supposed to be. So contemplate that before approaching me. Hey, fool, run that shit the fuck back, man. Fifth, I'm hot, bloodshot, red from the doja I grind hard cause I can't flow 
in the story, you can tell the draft soldier. You in the corporate office somewhere over there. You with the Range Rover. Bitches getting colder. And I ain't got time, man. I got a shot. Email me in October. I'm telling all my people, look, let's get paid. Asking all boss, man. Can I get a raise? Not far from a star. Two steps from a slave. Take it for myself, man. It's time to get paid. Telling all my people's look, let's get paid. Asking all boss, man. Can I get a raise? Not far from a star. Two steps from a slave.
Peace. Peace, everyone. Peace to the God. I would like to welcome you to another episode of The Foundation here on High Frequency Radio Network. Make sure that I'm coming through loud and clear. I'm trying a new um, microphone and I'm, a new way of connecting to blog talk. So I just want to make sure that I'm coming in clear. Sounds like I am. Yes, yes. So as I said, I would like to welcome everyone to another episode of The Foundation here on High Frequency Radio Network. The Foundation, where we understand incorrect information incorrectly applied can get you hurt. Correct information incorrectly applied can get you hurt. So we're looking to correctly apply information correctly or correct information. (laughs) I want to say all thanks, honors, and praises due to the creator and the ancestors. But without them, we would not be here. Definitely want to say big up. Salute. Big Brother Yusuf L. HighFrequencyRadioNetwork.com Creator. Extraordinaire. He created the platform, y'all. So, always got to say what's up to the Big Brother Yusuf L. I want to remind you to check out WelcomeToTheFoundation.com The very least, sign up for the email list. It's right there on the first page, right when you get there. You can check out the PDF section. Lots of PDFs. In the PDF, just download them. They're right there. You can find the Foundation's Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram pages. You can make a donation and you can book a consultation all from the same spot. Welcome to thefoundation.com. I want to say peace to all the trustees. Salute. But more importantly, at least for the Foundation is concerned, I want to say peace to all the listeners. All the live listeners. I want to say peace to all the live callers. I want to say peace to all the MP3 listeners and those who share MP3s back and forth through email or other services. I want to say peace to all the archive listeners, whatever your um, preferences, archive listeners, as well as all the podcast listeners. I would like to say peace to you all. Thank you very much. I appreciate you. I see the numbers. It's very impressive. I want to say um, peace to anyone who's investing in their private education. I also want to say peace to anyone I've done business with in the private peace and thank you to anyone that has made a donation, sent an email, well wishes, or current event. I also want to say peace to anyone that has otherwise added to the foundation. And I'm going to get going. Let's, let's, let's get into this. Let's start off with these current events. <clears throat> Not trying to take too long, but I got several, several. First up, CBSNews.com. Some of America's biggest companies paid little to no federal income tax. In 2018, big companies have long capitalized on business-friendly laws to minimize their tax liability. Now, President Trump's tax laws make it even easier for profitable corporations to reduce what they owe the government case in point companies ranging from internet giants amazon and netflix 
to industrial bellwethers, General Motors, and U.S. Steel could end up paying as little as $0 in federal income tax this year despite recording hefty profits. Some companies will also collect large tax rebates. According to a recent analysis of Amazon's regulatory filings, the e-commerce company won't pay a cent in federal income tax this year despite its profits soaring to $11.2 billion in 2018, nearly double the $5.6 billion it earned the previous year. It would be the second year in a row Amazon paid no federal tax said the left-leaning Institute on Taxation and Economic Policy, which estimated the company's effective tax rate for 2018 at negative 1%. Amazon dismisses the Institute on Taxation and Economic Policy's tax analysis and notes that its profit margins are more than $232 billion in revenue last year are in the single digits quote Amazon pays all the taxes we are required to pay in the US and every country where we operate including paying 2.6 billion in corporate tax worldwide and reporting 3.4 billion in tax expense over the last three years the company said in a statement to CBS money watch corporate tax is based on profits not revenues and our profits remain modest given retail is highly competitive and low margin and our continued heavy investment said the Amazon spokesperson Netflix's number is just an estimate Um, we don't have access to actual corporate tax returns so we can never know precisely and fully what they are doing but based on limited disclosures that are required to make an annual report it seems pretty clear that They are relying on distinct tax breaks, all of them clearly legal. Gardner said Netflix's annual earnings report shows an effective tax rate after deductions of 1% for the year, referring to taxes paid worldwide. Netflix said it paid $131 million in taxes globally in 2018. We don't break out U.S. versus foreign in that figure, but there were U.S. taxes paid, a Netflix spokesperson told CBS Money Watch. Uh, they go on to talk about General Motors, an effective tax rate of 5.5%, its annual report shows, while the auto giant claimed a $104 million refund on $8.5 billion in profit. Uh, we got net operating losses. If a company was profitable in 2018, it can use so-called net operating losses for the prior year to offset profits. Those negative amounts offset positive profits in the future years, which happens all the time in cyclical businesses, not just during major depressions. This is tax analyst Marty Sullivan. I'm gonna I'm gonna keep moving. I'm gonna keep moving. Uh, Where we got this other this other article? Um, <clears throat> in the meantime, the average run refund for an individual dropped nearly nine percent 
due to the new tax reform. Corporations are reaping the benefits. The the common people are taking picking up the slack. It's obvious how this thing works. Um, in the meantime, there was a there was a, a lady who received a six thousand or eight thousand dollar tax bill and started crying. And this is up. On the news, I can't remember what site it was on. I swear I had it up, but I can't. I just don't see it right here. So I'm just going to move on. Moving on to some store closings. Let's get into this. CNBC. Let me start with this. Gap, Victoria's Secret, and even Tesla. 4,300 store closures already announced this year. A recent wave of store closing and announcements will hit shopping malls across the U.S., leaving hundreds of storefronts empty. Just this week, Victoria's Secret said it will shut around 50 locations in 2019, when it normally closes closer to a dozen each year. Gap said it's closing 230 of its namesake brand stores over a two-year span, and JCPenney announced its plans to shut 18 department stores and nine of its furniture and home locations in 2019. Retail Apocalypse when to happen that builds on the recent store closure announcements by Jimbery, Payless Shoe Source, Charlotte Roos and Ann Taylor parent company Asina Retail to name a few a whopping 4,309 store closures were announced by retailers just in the first two months of 2019 Core Site Research said in a research note That's well ahead of the number of announcements the market research firm was tracking this same time a year ago. Even Tesla last week said it plans to move all its sales online and close showrooms. If anything, this this increases my concerns for malls. Jan Niffen CEO of consultant firm J. Rogers Niffin Worldwide told CNBC there are roughly 1,200 malls in the U.S. and only 250 great ones that aren't in trouble right now, he said. I think we are. We see more store closures in 2019 than 2018. This year is already ahead of last year. In 2018, Courtside tracked 5,524 store closures, which was down more than 30%. From a record 8,139 store closures in 2017. That's almost. Man, that's almost. Let me look at this again. I mean, this is just be serious. 5,000. We're talking about almost 20,000 stores closing. I find that to be, you know, interesting. I also note that Elon Musk, the owner of Tesla, said that he was they were definitely going to be closing their showrooms. USA Today, Payless, Gymboree, and Victoria's Secret are just some of the brands closing in 2019. Payless Shoe Source accounts for the largest number of closings with 2,590 stores which are currently holding liquidation sales. Some stores will close by the end of March, with other locations staying open through the end of May, the company said. Corsite, here we go again, tracked 5,528 closings, which included all Toys R Us locations, plus hundreds of mattress firm stores, Kmart and Sears locations, and Brickstones. 
me get into these numbers. The closings. Um, some of the announced closures may carry over into 2020, which was the case with several closing announced in late 2018, such as Lowe's, Sears, and Kmart. Gap Incorporated announced February 28th they would lose closely roughly to 230 stores over two years. Payless Shoe Stores, 2,589 stores, include 248 Canada. Canada location <laughs> and 114 smaller format stores in Shop Cove, hometown locations. Jimboree and Crazy Eight, 749 stores closing. Things Remember, 422 stores closing. Asina Retail, 400 stores closing. Family Dollar, Family Dollar, as many as 390 stores closing. Shop Cove, closing 251 stores. General Nutrition Centers, closing 233 stores. Gap, closing roughly 230 stores in the next two years. Tesla, more than 200 locations worldwide. Around 80 stores will close in the U.S. Foot Locker is closing, closing 165 stores. This is total includes closing outside of the U.S. Destiny Maternity is closing 117 stores. Charlotte Roos, 94 stores. Chico's, 83 stores. 72 stores of Sears will be closed. Victoria's Secret is closing 53 stores. A very large local Victoria's Secret in a very trendy neighborhood in my home city closed. It's crazy to walk by and see that big location empty. Vera Bradley closing 50 stores. Kmart's closing 48. JCPenney will close 27. Henry Bendel, all 23 stores out of here. Southeastern Grocers, 22 stores. ELF Beauty, all 22 stores. Out of here. Saks Fifth Ave, 20 stores. Lowe's, closing 20 stores. Macy's, 8. Target, 6. J. Crew, 5. Kohl's is closing 4 stores. We got Nordstrom closing 3 stores. And then, you know, one store each for Whole Foods, Calvin Klein, Pottery Pottery Barn. And William Sonoma. It's a lot of stores closing in 2019. Dollar Tree to close up to 390 stores. Reports $2.3 billion in losses. This is CNBC. Specifically, we're talking about Dollar Tree. Discount retailer Dollar Tree plans to close 390 family dollar stores this year while renovating 1,000 other locations. Quote, we are confident we are taking the appropriate steps to reposition our family dollar brand for increasing profitability as business initiatives gain traction in the back half of fiscal year 2019. It's renovated family dollar locations will sell alcohol and include a $1 Dollar Tree merchandise section. About 400 stores will get expanded freezer and cooler sections and will also rebrand about 200 family dollar stores to the Dollar Tree brand. It has 7,001 Dollar Tree locations and 8,236 family dollar stores as of February 2nd. Company's earnings beat Wall Street estimates, which were heavily adjusted to exclude, two point, to exclude a $2.73 billion write-down against its family dollar business. On an adjusted basis, the Dollar Tree reported a profit of 1.9, I'm sorry, $1.93 per share during the 13 weeks ended February 12th. 
compared with average estimates of a dollar ninety two a share. Okay, all right, yeah, cool, cool. Three hundred ninety stores, Dollar Tree. Moving forward, what is this? U.S. construction spending falls last year in the fourth quarter. This is on Reuters. This was from two days ago. U.S. construction spending unexpectedly fell in December as investment in both private and public projects dropped, leading economists to expect that the government will trim its economic growth estimate for the fourth quarter. The report from the Commerce Department on Monday, so that's last Monday. Nope, that was Monday. That was two, a couple days ago. Was further evidence... The economy lost momentum at the tail end of 2018. Growth is slowing as a stimulus from a $1.5 trillion tax cut and increased government spending ebbs. Trade tensions between the United States and China, as well as slowing global economic conditions and global economies, are also hurting domestic activity. The construction spending report extended the run of weak December. It has included retail sales, housing starts, trade, and home sales. The report is in line with the U.S. economy losing some steam at the end of the year, said Stephen Shields, an economist at Moody's Analytics in Westchester, Pennsylvania. That's on Reuters. Y'all can check that out. Uh, what's the next one I'm going to do? I'm gonna, okay, look, let's talk about this. Maxine Waters. This is on L.A. Times. Waters proposes consumer-friendly overhaul of credit reporting industry. To credit reporting bureaus, I'm, I'm, picked, I'm cherry-picking out this article. I got a couple more. Um, to credit reporting bureaus, consumers aren't consumers. They are commodities, Waters said, adding that, that dissatisfied Americans can't just take their business to another company. Although Equifax, Experian, and TransUnion collect information from banks and other firms about Americans, their payment history on mortgages, credit cards, auto loans, and other debt, they have little direct relationship with consumers. Their customers are the companies seeking a consumer's credit history. This commodification of consumers and their personal data is the core reason why our nation's consumer credit reporting system is broken. Spurred by Equifax's Massive 2017 data breach that exposed the social security numbers, birth dates, and other private data for nearly 150 million people. Waters has released a discussion draft of a bill that she she said would fix this system. The 199-page bill will reduce how long most negative information stays on credit reports to four years from seven and require credit reporting companies to remove such items within 45 days of the debt being fully paid or settled. She wants to restrict credit checks for job applicants to instances in which a credit report is required by federal, state, or local law or when it is needed as part of a security clearance. And the bill would shift the burden of removing mistakes on credit reports away from consumers and onto credit bureaus and financial firms that provide them has provide a new right for consumers to appeal determinations the companies made about disputed information. Waters has been pushing the legislation for several years and had tried unsuccessfully to get all three CEOs to testify before the committee when she was in the House minority. That's something, in my opinion, to pay attention to. What am I going to do next? What am I going to do next? Mm. 
Let's do go to Reuters as Trump wages trade war. U.S. goods deficit hits record high in 2018. Reuters, Washington, the U.S. goods trade deficit surged to a record high in 2018 as strong domestic demand fueled by lower taxes pulled in imports despite the Trump administration's America First policies, including tariffs aimed at shrinking the trade gap. So basically they're saying it didn't work. This whole thing he's talking about didn't work. The the trade deficit got larger. President Donald Trump is pursuing a protectionist trade agenda to shield U.S. manufacturing from what he says is unfair foreign competition. Trump, who has dubbed himself the tariff man, pledged on both the campaign trail and as president to reduce the deficit by shutting out more unfairly traded imports and renegotiating free trade agreements. The Commerce Department said today that a 12.4% jump in the deficit in December had contributed to the record 891.3 billion goods trade shortfall last year. The overall trade deficit surged 12.5% to $621 billion in 2018, the largest since 2008. The trade deficit exploded last year despite the Trump administration's efforts to make America great again, and the trend is unlikely to get any better in 2019. This is Chris chief economist at MUFG in New York. Rupkachev? I don't know. The White House has argued that reducing the trade deficit would boost annual economic growth to its goal of 3% on a sustainable basis. The government also sought to stimulate the economy with $1.5 trillion tax cut package, which jolted both consumer and business spending, helping to lift imported goods to a record $2.6 trillion in 2018. The United States last year imposed tariffs on $250 billion worth of goods imported from China, with Beijing hitting back with duties on $110 billion worth of American products, including soybeans, other commodities. Trump has delayed tariffs on $200 billion worth more of Chinese imports as negotiations to resolve the eight-month trade war continue. Interesting, huh? It's a larger trade deficit. CNBC stocks post three-day losing streak as Wall Street looks for more clues on U.S.-China trade. Stocks fell today with the major index, I'm sorry, indexes posting their third consecutive decline as investors took a breather following sharp gains this year. Wall Street also sought further indications that a trade deal between China and the United States could be reached in the near future. Dow Transports, meanwhile, dropped half a percent to post a ninth straight decline, its longest slide since 2009. We're getting a lot of these, you know, years of those, you know, that last recession, 2009, 2008, and a lot of these different, you know, articles. The S&P 500 sector fell, healthcare stocks and the S&P 500 pulled back more than 1%. Most of the big items that have driven the market over the past two months are done, said Tom Martin. Senior Portfolio Manager at Globalt. The market is guessing there will be some sort of trade deal that will end the larger hostilities. 
The news has people waiting. That's what you're seeing in the averages over the last several days. Three sources told CNBC that President Donald Trump wants the U.S. and China to strike a deal in hopes of boosting stock prices ahead of the 2020 election. The sources said Trump thinks getting a deal on trade would accomplish that. Earlier this week, sources told CNBC the U.S. and China were in the final stages of trade talks, with two sides planning a Mar-a-Lago summit for the end of the month. U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo also said Monday he thought Washington and Beijing were on the cusp of reaching a deal. Stocks are off to a hot start this year, but it's been a little different the last few days, especially I'm going to say last, you know, last week or so. I'm almost finished. I'm almost finished. This stuff is important, though. Next. Uh, CNBC, Europe markets lower as U.S. trade deficit jumps to decade high. Burberry is down 4%. Stocks in Europe lost momentum today afternoon as data showed the U.S. trade deficit jumped to a 10-year high. That's crazy. That's what, and you know, I just want to point out that's what the, you know, the the president of the United States came into office talking about, you know, trade deficits, you know, fix the trade deficits, but really, what's going on is is they're jumping. The trade deficit jumped to a ten year high. The pan European stock six hundred ended the session provisionally lower, with sectors in mixed territory. Stocks in the basic resources basket was the best performing sector. Up almost 1%. Investors are still awaiting details on negotiations between Washington and Beijing. U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo said Monday he thought Washington and Beijing were on the cusp. Blah, blah, this is the same stuff. But the Europe markets are down. Moving forward, Reuters tariffs, government shutdown, way on still growing economy. Slowing global growth and the 35-day partial federal government shutdown weighed on the U.S. economy in the first weeks of 2019, but it continued growing amid still tight labor markets. Economic activity continued to expand in late January and February, even as concerns took root at the U.S. Federal Bank about possible slowdown. The Fed said in its regular beige book compendium of anecdotes compiled from industry and business contacts around the country. The pace of growth was slight to moderate in 10 of the Fed of the Fed's 12 districts, with those in Philadelphia and St. Louis reporting flat economic conditions. Still, the overall tenure of the Beige Book may relieve some of the concerns about growth in the real economy that prompted the Fed to pause its cycle of interest rate hikes in January after a sharp correction in financial markets and other began increasing late last year. Tighter credit conditions were cited as damping consumer spending. Told you that credit that credit squeeze has already it's been happening for a while. Concerns about tariffs continue to weigh on the minds of executives and crimp profits as input costs rose more than it could be passed along to consumers. So they're saying they couldn't even pass it along to consumers. It rose so much we can't even pass it along to them because they'll they'll stop buying it. It's going to be too high of a price increase. In too short of a period of time 
Fed's policy setting committee is scheduled to meet in two weeks to make its latest interest rate decision and is widely expected to leave borrowing costs unchanged. Consistent with the patient strategy it outlined in January. This is, I think this is crazy right here. The Federal Reserve scraps qualitative tests for U.S. banks in 2019 stress tests. The U.S. Federal Reserve said today it would no longer flunk banks based on operational or risk management lapses during its annual health check of the country's domestic banks. The qualitative portion of the 2019 test, however, will still apply to the U.S. subsidiaries of five foreign banks subject to the annual exam. What does that say to you? The move, which is a big win for major banks such as Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley and J.P. Morgan, Bank of America and Citigroup, forms part of a broader effort for the Fed to overhaul its annual stress testing process, which the industry has long criticized as too um, onerous and opaque. Since the 2007-2009 financial crisis, the Fed has put the country's lenders through strict annual tests to see whether they would have enough capital to withstand a major economic downturn. For the largest lenders, the test also included a so-called qualitative objection that gives the Fed the discretion to fail banks due to risk management or operational failures, risk management failures, even if they have sufficient capital. Most banks that have failed the test in the past stumbled on the qualitative objection. Banks that receive an objection from the Fed are required to adjust their capital distribution plans. On Well, today, the Fed said it would eliminate the qualitative objection for most firms due to the improvements in capital planning made by the largest firms. Lenders which are still relatively new to the test and may have less established capital planning capability would still remain subject to qualitative tests. They're, they're loosening... The, the those uh, what I call them those procedures that they put in place to prevent any type of uh, recession global recession or economic downturn they're starting to ease those and I think that's important I think that's important to pay attention to also, the London Stock Exchange invests in the world's first cryptocurrency bond. The London Stock Exchange Group has invested in blockchain startup Navara, who will tokenize bonds and equities to make issuance more efficient. I just want to note that all these banks are jumping on the cryptocurrency thing. Um, they talk so much junk about cryptocurrency, but you know it's because they weren't ready. Because they didn't have their own cryptos So pay attention to that Last last not least I want to talk about this Self-made billionaires like Warren Buffett And Elon Musk Prove if you don't make time for these Six little things every day You'll never be successful This is on CNBC.com Y'all can check this out One, number one Read a book that isn't directly related to your career Reading is one of the easiest ways to experience life from another perspective and develop the empathy required to be an effective leader. But it's also important to expand your knowledge beyond your expertise. 
Number two, get sweaty. Developing the courage to do something outside of your comfort zone is a sign that you're leveling up. Otherwise, you won't get very far in life. If you hate public speaking, be the first to speak at your next team meeting. Although you might get so nervous that you end up with sweat stains beneath your armpit sleeves, just do it anyway. It'll get easier. Number three, exercise. In his five-year study of rich people, author Tom Corley found that exercising was something they all had in common. Those who have forged the habit of exercising aerobically have tremendous competitive advantages over those who don't. Those advantages include higher IQ, willpower, confidence, and up to 20% more energy. Number four, give back. The myth that the lone hero succeeded because they managed to pull themselves up by the bootstraps is just a myth. Truly successful people understand the importance of giving back, especially to those in need. Number five, take a moment to remember your competition. Michael Jordan once said, I play to win, whether during practice or a real game. And I will not let anything get in the way of me and my competitive enthusiasm to win the professional basketball team all the way to six championships and creating one of the most valuable athletic brands in history. Number six, get outside and think. Everyone knows we all spend way too much time on our phones. But... What we don't talk about is that so many of us fail to do is drop the devices, get outside, walk, and just think. A study from the American Psychology Association found that outdoor walks can increase creativity and improve problem-solving skills. When there is a premium on generating new ideas in the workday, it should be beneficial to incorporate walks. Pay attention. Pay attention to what's going on. And then I want to go over this. This is from the Small Business Association, um, SBA.gov website. Five ways to separate your personal and business finances. I find this to be very important. Um, Let me do Open a small business bank account. So that's number one. Open a bank account, a business bank account. Apply for a DUNS number. That's number two. Set up utility accounts in the company's name. Apply for credit in the company's name. And number five, acquire a business credit card. The primary tool for separating personal and business charges is with a business credit card. Business credit cards allow you to track your business expenses, control spending, and build your business credit. So that's uh, five ways to separate your personal and business financing. I found that on SBA.gov. Y'all should check out SBA.gov. They have a lot, a lot of helpful articles and information with regards to, you know, starting a business, building business credit, so on and so forth. All right, so before I get into this, I want to read this article, man. I'm sorry, I know, but check this out. It's an article called The Other Debt Bulls, How Private Sector Debt Could Trigger the Next Financial Crisis. This is by uh, this guy named Stephen Gleason. Starts off, the $22 trillion official national debt is much um, a discussed problem, even as politicians exhibit zero motivation to do anything about it. But as a big, 
As big an economic overhang as it is, government debt isn't likely to trigger the next financial crisis. Servicing the growing federal debt bubble will depress GDP growth because the value of the dollar will drop and raise inflation risks, but the bubble itself won't necessarily burst. Not anytime soon, according to this this um, author. As long as politicians face no political consequences for de- deficit spending, and as long as the Federal Reserve keeps the Treasury bond market propped up, then many more trillions can be added to the national debt. Meanwhile, more fragile debt um, situations, more fragile debt bubbles exist and situations in the private sector. Unlike government debt, which carries the implicit backing of the Fed's unlimited printing press, debts incurred by corporations, investors, consumers, and students can default. Globally, there exists $250 trillion in debt against economic assets of around $100 trillion. The notional value of all derivatives now approaches a quadrillion dollars. It's been called the everything bubble, and it could soon lead to the everything bust. U.S. household debt rose to a record $13.5 trillion in the fourth quarter of 2018. Mortgages, student loans, car loans, and credit cards represent enormous burdens, even during a good economy. These burdens will prove unbearable for millions of Americans in the years ahead. For many, the financial crisis is already here. Pending home sales have fallen on a year-over-year basis for 13 consecutive months. Farm loan delinquencies recently hit their highest level in nine years. More than 7 million Americans are delinquent on their auto loan payments, which is an all-time record, and some 5.1 million people are in default on their student loans. Student loans now rank as the second largest category of American consumer debt behind mortgages. The cruel reality is that many of these gender studies and art history type degrees will never be worth as much as the job market as they cost to obtain. The main consequence of the government subsidized student loan bubble is to enable college tuitions and fees to rise at a much higher rate than salaries. It's not that universities have had to raise costs to pay for their top-notch professors. It's just one example of how easy money and distorted government incentivizes uh, malinvestment. Another example, of course, is the stock market. Investors in search of returns have bid up stocks to bubble heights following years of artificially depressed interest rates. Big corporations have tried to manipulate their own share prices higher by engaging in leveraged stock buybacks, even at lofty recent valuations. A composite of equity leverage, including margin accounts and leveraged exchange-traded products, shows total leverage at an all-time high last December. A deleveraging event started to take hold into Christmas until the U.S. Che- um, until the U.S. Treasury Secretary convened the quote plunge protection team and Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell turned dovish. The Fed faces another potential deleveraging event just around the corner in the corporate bond market. The U.S. investment grade corporate bond market has swelled. 
to about $5.2 trillion, according to Bloomberg. That represents an increase of more than $3 trillion over the last 10 years. Even more alarming, around half of these investment-grade bonds are just one tier away from being rated as junk bonds. Between now and 2021, an unprecedented spike in outstanding commercial debt comes due. That could be a disaster, especially if credit spreads widen and or interest rates go up across the board. Another potential bubble unwinding to come in stock market index funds. Passively managed index funds have grown from 4.5% of total U.S. stock market assets in 2002 to 17% in 2018. The late John Bogle, founder of Vanguard and index investing pioneer, turned skeptical on the outsized growth of index funds prior to his death. Perhaps these vehicles have become too successful for their own good. The fundamental problem is that index funds assume an underlying efficient market where securities analysis and market discovery takes place. When the largest shareholders of the blue chip stocks are index funds, valuations can get distorted. This is a big deal. These two big failed banks, especially when, you, when you're talking about um, you know, basic consumers being so far behind on their car payments, so far behind on their student loans. And to me, the last thing to take a hit when it comes to consumers is going to be their rents or their mortgages. Everything else goes first. So that's what we're starting to see. We're starting to see student loans going. We're starting to see car payments going. We're starting to see credit card debt rise. And that, that, that's how it starts. That's how it begins. So moving forward, I'm going to let y'all know, man. I'm probably going to I'm going to stream. I'm definitely going to stream. We're going to go over tonight. But I do want to get into this. Why um, 9-8 number? Why trust and why now? Just jumping into it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say it off top. That nine eight number, people love that stuff because that's the that's the the EIN that designates a foreign entity, and that's the only EIN that you can you can um, get without submitting or giving them a social security number. But a nine eight number is just that; it's an employer identification number. It needs to be coupled with what we know as a specific trust indenture. The essence of all trust is divided title to property. To illustrate this, let's suppose a man owns perfect title, also known as lawful, complete, or full title, to a home and decides to create a trust to shelter that home. He first grants or donates the perfect title to his home into the trust. The home thus becomes trust property, also known as the trust corpus. The grantor then divides his perfect title to the home into two subcomponents, legal title and equitable title. Each subtitle contains a different set of rights. Legal title includes the rights of actual control and disposal of trust property. Equitable title, equitable title includes the right of possession and use 
of trust property. I'm going to say that again. Legal title includes the rights of actual control and disposal of trust property. Equitable title includes the right of possession and use of trust property. The difference between legal and equitable titles is similar to the difference in rights between a landlord and a tenant. The landlord owns the house and has legal right of control and disposal. Disposal meaning sale of the house or property. The tenant has the equitable right to live in, use, and possess the property or the house. Although the tenant lives in the house, he has no legal right to tear down walls or sell the property. All right. When an individual has perfect title to his house or a lodial title, he has both the legal right of ownership and the equitable right of use. He has the right to both control and live in his house. However, when he creates a trust, he appoints one or more trustees to hold the legal title to his home, and he appoints one or more beneficiaries to actually live on the property. The trustees effectively manage the home. The beneficiaries get to live in the home. Jeez. When an individual has perfect title to his house, he has both the legal right of ownership and the equitable right of use. He has the right to both control and live in his house. However, when he creates a trust, he appoints one or more trustees to hold the legal title to his home, and he appoints one or more beneficiaries to actually live on the property. The trustees effectively manage the home. The beneficiaries get to live in the home. It's a hard and fast rule that the trustees can't enjoy the benefits of the trust property, nor can beneficiaries exercise any real control or ownership over the trust property. Whenever a single individual holds both the legal title and equitable title to a trust property, the subtitles are once again unified or merged into a single perfect title. The trust is said to be executed and ceases to exist. Trust offer a number of advantages. Advantages First, trust can provide for beneficiaries who are too incompetent to provide for themselves. For example, a wealthy father can create a trust that includes money or property that's to be used exclusively for the benefit of his minor children. As beneficiaries, his children will get the use of his father's property, possibly a house, or receive the profits from a business or investment. But they don't own legal title to the house or business and thus cannot foolishly sell the property. The right of sale and actual control of the trust property is left to the trustees. 
the advantage of this system is that if the father dies when the children are young and foolish, he need not worry about his kids selling the house for $1,000 to buy a new electric guitar or some other things. A second and perhaps more important advantage of trust is that they provide limited legal liability for trust property and trust members. For example, suppose the kids who are beneficiaries of the mansion left by their wealthy father get drunk and cause an automobile accident in which several people are killed or injured. The survivors and heirs of the victims may see the kids' multi-million dollar home and sue to gain ownership of that property. But if the mansion is held in trust, their lawsuit will be unsuccessful. As beneficiaries, the children get to use the mansion, but they don't own it. As a result, you can no more sue the beneficiaries for the property they use than you can sue the owner of an apartment complex when one of the tenants causes an automobile accident on the street. Shielded by a network of trust, it's entirely possible to live like a king and never have personal assets of more than $500 to your name. Sure, people can still sue you. They can even win massive judgments against you. But insofar as you lack legal title, legal title to the property, you own nothing, and therefore there's nothing that can be taken from you. As a result, you can be virtually litigation-proof. Essentially, no one will waste money paying lawyers to sue a beneficiary who has no more personal assets than a homeless bum. A few years ago, a former governor of a southwestern state retired from public office into a life of wealth and leisure. He promoted and personally guaranteed an investment scheme which failed. Based on his personal guarantee and presumed personal wealth, he was ultimately sued by his investors for millions of dollars they'd lost. On receipt of the suit, the former governor's lawyers replied that everything their client had was in trust. His personal net worth was trivial, and they would therefore not even bother to defend against the investor's suit. Even though the former governor lived like a king in a mansion, his assets were all held in trust. He was a legal pauper, and therefore beyond the reach of the lawsuit. If the investors waited, I'm sorry, wanted to waste even more of their money paying their lawyers to sue the former governor, they were free to do so, but they never collected dime. The result, the former governor stayed in his mansion and the investor's suit was dropped. You can't squeeze blood from a turnip or a legitimate trust. A third advantage is that trust can be extremely secretive. The man who places his mansion in trust for the benefit of his children has no obligation to inform the state or his neighbors of the creation of that trust. Your trust might only become public knowledge if it were entangled in a lawsuit. Although there are statutory trusts which are sanctioned by the state and created according to the state-approved rules, there is no requirement that trust be statutory. None. Zero. You can create a private trust right now in privacy of your own home without informing anyone except the trustee you appoint to manage the trust. Unlike corporations, which must be registered with the state, trust can be established without public or governmental knowledge or approval. Despite their several advantages, much like the Force in Star Wars movies, trusts also have a dark side. For example, if government creates a trust 
and tempts you to accept its benefits. It can thereafter treat you as a beneficiary of that trust. While being a beneficiary may have certain advantages, limited liability, secrecy, and private relationships, being a beneficiary of a government trust can create serious political and legal disabilities. Beneficiaries implicitly surrender any claim to legal and or unalienable rights with respect to trust property. That's why we own nothing, control everything. We don't have it in our names. The problem with beneficiaries is that they have no legal rights within the context of the trust. The reason for this disability is that, according to Bouvier's Law Dictionary, 1856, all rights flow from title. For example, the reason you can drive your car, but you can't drive mine, is that you have a title to your car, but you have no title to mine. Your right to live in your home or your apartment ultimately flows from a title to that property. Even if you don't personally hold a title to that house or apartment, you are ultimately renting from someone who does. But it's not only true that your rights to property flow from your title to a property. It's true that the kind of rights you receive depend on the kind of title you hold. Virtually everyone assumes that there is only one kind of title, the perfect or complete title, that a grantor must possess to create a trust. That assumption is wrong. Remember how the essential feature of a trust is division of perfect title into two subtitles, legal and equitable? With legal title, trustees receive one bundle of rights, ownership, control, and disposal. With equitable title, beneficiaries receive a different bundle of rights, possession and use. These bundles are mutually exclusive. By definition, being a trustee means you can have no equitable rights in trust property. Likewise, beneficiaries, by definition, have no legal rights to trust property. This distinction between kinds of title becomes particularly important when a beneficiary goes to court as a plaintiff. Although the plaintiff beneficiary may suppose his case will be heard in the court of law, he'll be wrong. The only purpose for a court of law is to determine legal rights. It follows that if you don't have legal title to the subject matter of a lawsuit, you can't have legal rights to that subject matter, and therefore, you have no standing at law. Unless you have legal title to the subject matter of a case, there's nothing for a court of law to decide. As a result, beneficiaries can invoke the court, cannot invoke a court of law which only decides legal rights when they litigate. Instead, beneficiaries must always invoke a court of equity wherein the judge rules strictly according to his own alleged conscience. In equity, the judge is unbound by law and the litigants are virtually helpless to resist almost any decision the judge wishes to impose. If the judge doesn't like the color of your eyes, your political bias, or your religious beliefs, he can rule against you. Beneficiaries have virtually no rights or recourse to defend themselves against judicial bias or even overt oppression. Beneficiaries are always at the mercy of the court. Thus, from the government's point of view, degrading a citizen to the status of a beneficiary essentially empowers the government to treat the beneficiary as a subject. As subject, you are obliged to accept without question or constitutional defense virtually any regulation the government wishes to impose. In other instances, government also tricks us into accepting the role of trustee relative to governmental or private trust. If we unwittingly accept that status of trustee, government can impose a virtually unlimited list of fiduciary duties. 
In the capacity of trustee, we must accept whatever burdens and obligations are placed upon us by the trust indenture, even if those duties are seemingly unconstitutional. Let me double check. We're gonna double check, make sure you know, make sure I'm coming in clear. Still, excuse me. Where was I at? Although you can't be both trustee and beneficiary of the same trust. You can simultaneously be a trustee of one trust and a beneficiary of another. As a result, government will sometimes treat us as beneficiaries, sometimes as trustees, in either case or claim on unalienable rights is compromised or implicitly denied. This denial is particularly frustrating, mysterious, and seemingly inexplicable because not one man in 10,000 could even imagine the government might surreptitiously impose these trust relationships and legal personalities on us without our express knowledge. But through these unexpected, unexpected trust relationships, the government and courts can secretly bypass the Constitution and deprive, of, deprive us of our unalienable rights based on the presumption that we understood and voluntarily agreed to surrender those rights when we became beneficiaries. At first, the idea that government could use trust to bypass the Constitution and deprive us of rights or or subject us to unexpected duties sounds absurd. But trusts have several major attributes that make this kind of covert oppression possible. First, anyone, including government, can create a trust without expressly using the words trust, trustee, grant, grantor, benefit, beneficiary, or any other term that is normally associated with trusts, regardless of words used. And even when no words are used, it is incumbent on every person to recognize their role in a trust by recognizing the nature of their relationship to another person or trust property. Um, usually less than one person in 100 can even understand what what is just being said. Worse, one person in 10,000 can recognize in a trust relationship whenever he happens to participate in one. For example... Suppose you borrow my pen. Insofar as I expect you to return my pen, we have just entered into an unstated trust relationship where I am the beneficiary and you are the trustee. Even though neither of us use the words trust, benefit, etc., etc., even though you did not expressly agree to return my my pen, I am trusting that you will return my pen. You are trusted with the control of my pen and therefore we have a simple, unexpressed trust relationship. Creating trust relationships can be just that simple. As a result, it's easy for government to entangle folks in trust relationships and thereby compromise whatever rights they might normally expect to have without people having any idea of what's happening. Further, few people realize that whatever the word application, I'm sorry, whenever the word application is used by a governmental agency, it typically means application for benefits. For example, when you fill out an application for a driver's license, social security card, or bank account, you are probably applying for a benefit to be provided by a government trust. You can't normally receive a benefit without being a beneficiary, and beneficiaries have no legal rights. 
Thus, by voluntarily filling out an application, you may unwittingly forfeit your claim to any legal rights or standing at law relative to the trust property. like to read an express trust agreement, read the software license from Microsoft or any other major software provider. The license identifies you as the end user. Anytime you see the, see the word use or user, beware of the possible presence of a trust relationship. In the case of software, Microsoft makes it clear that you don't own the software product. You merely get to use it on your computer. But at all times, real ownership of the product remains with Microsoft. They own legal title to the software. Your license merely gives you equitable title or interest to use their software. If you don't like your limited rights as a beneficiary, your only option is to return the software, which is the trust property. Otherwise, by continuing to use the software, accepting the benefit, you have virtually no legal rights against Microsoft. If the software crashes, your computer destroys the database that runs your business or causes you accounting software to add a zero to the amount of money your computer sends by check to each of your creditors is too bad. As a beneficiary, you have almost no recourse at law against the grantor, trust, or trustee. Thus, even without any express indication that your application can bind you to a trust relationship, a trust relationship and resulting diminished status can be impressed on your life. When you filled out the application, you probably thought you'd receive some free benefits. What you didn't know and what they had no obligation to disclose to you was that you'd pay for that benefit or that beneficial pottage with the surrender of your unalienable rights. If you should ever lodge a complaint against the trust or trustees, the courts will silently presume that, one, you recognize the trust relationship when you applied. And two, you knowingly and voluntarily surrendered your unalienable right, legal rights, when you applied to become beneficiary. I'm gonna chill right there. Um, this is a trust document um, that I will send. It's like a treaty. It's a treaty on trust that I will send to anyone who emails me at admin at welcome to the foundation.com and asks for the trust document from the March 6th episode. There's like way more pages and not only is they discussing, you know, private trust, also discussing public trust as well as resulting trust. And I want to make it clear, there's only there's over 80 different types of trust. And if anyone tells you that they know them all that I don't I wouldn't believe them. But the reason why I am so adamant. That people learn trust law, trust administration. So you can recognize the different trusts that you're involved in already. The simple trusts, the resulting trusts, where you're in a beneficiary status depending on the situation or you're in a trustee status depending on the situation. And it's not just, you know, when you're dealing with a private trust, are you in these positions? Um, I think it's very simple, you know, the, the explanation regarding the pencil or the pen. 
that you know it's a simple um, implied trust when you know you borrow my pen I'm, I'm trusting that you're going to give it back you don't own, you don't own any legal title to it you just own equitable title you just can use it as long as you know the legal title holder which is me allows you to have equitable use of the pen was known as a simple trust there's also resulting trust relationships there's always a resulting trust relationship when you're in court there's resulting trust relationships in even your dealings interpersonal relationships and your dealings with people and to me it's the foundation of the of not only looking at commercial transactions but it's the foundation of looking at relationships when we look at you know the earth you know, we're beneficiaries of the earth as well as trustees of the earth. We're supposed to take care of the earth. And then we don't own this earth or any of this land, but we can administer it for the benefit of beneficiaries and our heirs, the ones that come after us. But we did not create this earth, so we're not the grantor of this earth. We're not the creator of this earth. And that's, you know, in my opinion, that's the original trust relationship that we're dealing with right now. And there's so many subsequent resulting trusts that come or stem from that original trust relationship. And you got trust on the public side. You've got trust on the private side. Whether you know it or not, you're party to, you know, resulting trusts, simple trusts, statutory trust relationships. They don't have to be disclosed. And it's important to understand, you know, those positions. It's important to understand that Pretty much every every situation that you're in, every relationship that you're in is a relationship of trust. And to recognize your position and the position of the other person or individuals that you're dealing with, what's the trust property or corpus, what are the requirements of you and what are the requirements of the beneficiaries or the trustees. And why why now? Um in my opinion, we're, we're coming up on a very serious economic crisis and not just, you know, in the United States. It's going to be with regards to the entire world. Now, you got co- com- uh, commercial businesses that are paying record low numbers in taxes. But you also have individuals who are seeing their tax bills and crying. And going on national TV and, you know, they're crying. And the IRS will say, oh, you know, it's because we, we did this, but you didn't update your withholding. So, you know, your overall tax increase or benefit was dispersed over all your paychecks. Like it's a bunch of crap to me. And I learned years ago that the employee and the business owner 
I'm sorry, the employee and the sole proprietor are the two worst positions to be in when it comes to commerce. You, you got the business owner and investor. And I'm not talking about sole proprietor. Like you, you, a sole proprietor is that person walks away from the business, the business stops. A business owner, that person walks away from the business and the business stays the same or begins to do better, but it doesn't decline. And an investor is someone who invests in other businesses and different types of, you know, situations, business ventures and whatnot. And those are the positions to be in. Employees, individuals, and sole proprietors. A sole proprietor must claim all that on an individual tax return anyway. Those are the ones that are getting beat up and they're going to continue to get beat up and it's just going to be... uh, uh, an alarmingly disproportionate situation because the whole point of this system is for you know us to run it and work it but they profit off of it so the business business owners and the trustees and the beneficiaries who know what they're doing who understand finance who understand structure who understand jurisdiction, who understand venue, they will reap the benefits of this economic system. Those who are informed, who come from informed families, those who come from uninformed families are the subjects of this system or the slaves of this economic system. And the commodity is labor. Labor is the human labor. But as we move more and more closer to this technology frontier where we have robots and algorithms and programs taking most of the jobs from the humans we still have time we still have time to get our state in order and yeah it's a tall order going from public to private and changing you know your whole paradigm but won't you be so happy that you did it when things really start to change when the job market really really just shrivels up you can't get a job no one can get a job why because there's algorithms and robots did you start your own business no I did not so I have no income coming in without a job okay well we got this universal basic income Uh huh. so y'all just gonna give me money we're gonna give you money it's called UBI but you gotta take this RFID chip you got to let us put, us put it in your hand. And, you know, depending on where you live and, you know, how, how, how high of a social score you have, you'll get better prices. Like if you, maybe if you have, if you po- have a political dissenting opinion, a politically dissenting opinion. You have a lower, you know, political score. So bread's gonna cost four dollars for you, but me, I'm a good guy. It's according to the you know the government. And I mind my business and don't talk at all. Bread's gonna be two dollars for me on this universal basic income type stuff. When we get to the point where there are no jobs And the jobs that do exist are so saturated with people attempting to do those jobs. Like like service jobs. 
Let's talk about service jobs. If a robot a robot can't do it, then there's going to be so many people. There's going to be such an influx of people trying to do your job, the job that you're in, that robots can't do. That there's your, the price that you make off of your service is going to hit the floor because there's going to be so many people doing the same thing you're doing. If you do nails, good luck. If you braid hair, good luck. If you offer certain types of consulting services, good luck. Accountants, good luck. Certain lawyers, good luck. If you, you know, if you clean houses, good luck. If you do any types of manual labor, good luck cuz those manual labor jobs are going to be crazy. Crazy packed. Crazy packed. There's going to be a one semi truck in the front of a fleet of six semi trucks. So the one in the front will have a driver in it and the five behind the first one will have no drivers in it. It'll be connected wirelessly. We're going to be losing so many, so many different things. And you're going to be very happy that you set up your private estate. You're going to be very happy that you started your own business, whether you're doing it through an LLC or corporation or you're doing it through um, an actual business trust. You're going to be so happy that you spent the time to learn what you learned and implement what you're able to implement because you were able to set up not only yourself, but maybe families and friends, whoever, and be in a position of power and control. When this stuff starts to change, it's going to change. It's going to change. Why now? Because you can still do it. Because when you when this when they when they do this, this universal basic income or whatever it is, then you're not gonna be able to put those credits or whatever in the trust. Not gonna let you do that. And if they do, it's gonna be such a penalty. And we're like, is it a, is it a legislative trust? No. Or is it a private trust? There's a private trust penalty. There's a penalty for for private use of these federal these you know these federal debits debits. Think about it. Not everyone is going to be studying discharge. Not everyone understands this stuff. Not, ev- not everyone understands, you know, uh, different suits in equity. Not everyone is- understands trust administration. Not everyone understands these different things that can allow certain people. To operate privately. Not everyone in your in your family is gonna understand this stuff. Not everyone in your community is gonna have the urge or the wherewithal or the understanding or dedication to get involved in a in a different structure. And the private structures 
before this stuff really gets deep. You're doing taxes with the individual. The individual is a person. The individual is, is a man. You should look up that individual and what an individual is. And if they can, they can change the tax laws without you doing anything. You have no control over that entity. You just have equitable, equitable, equitable title to this individual. You get certain benefits as well as liabilities. Liabilities are you have no control over the tax law. The benefits are, I don't know. You tell me. It's important to get your stuff together. It's important to properly go private. If you need help, you want to get into trustee training, you email me, admin at welcome to the foundation.com. And I'll get you set up. I'll get you 100% set up. You can apply whatever you, you want to do a tribal trust. You want to do a, a family trust, a blood, blood. You want to put uh, your uh, the religion principles, religious principles, in whatever you want to add to the trust, to the trust indenture. That's on you. The foundation of it, I got you. The administration of it, I got you. Education of it, I got you. But you got to email me, admin at welcome to the foundation.com. You got to be willing to do it. You got to be consistent. You got to be dedicated. You got to follow through. Otherwise, you're wasting your time. With that being said, these Federal Reserve notes are worthless. You want to exchange them into gold and silver. If you want more information, on how to do that properly and privately email me admin at welcome to the foundation.com I'll go on eBay buying silver with your PayPal or your credit card and then having it shipped to your home address I mean that's not private at all it's not even close I'll be going to one of these companies websites using your credit card or your debit card and having this stuff shipped to your house man nothing private about that nothing at all there's gonna be so much suffering within the next like you know I would say mm, hard number five to ten years I mean by the end of 2019 beginning of 2020 middle of 2020 you know they got that that election is going to happen, you know, the 2020 election or whatever. So they're going to try to keep it, you know, thorough or whatever. But, you know, it might, who knows? Who knows exactly what's going to happen? But we're going to really be able to see what's up come 2020 and, you know, the end of 2020 and 2021 and stuff. There's going to be, it's, a lot of things are going to change in America, in the United States. There's going to be a, a lot of economic differences, a lot of, you know, industry differences. A lot of different uh, sector differences. Things are going to begin to change. Things are already changing. And it's important that we get into the correct position. It's important that we pay attention to what's going on. It's important that we keep our eyes up and focused. And if our eyes are not up and focused, at least our ears to the ground. Because the it's coming, it's happening, all these stores are closing 
I don't know if you go to malls or if you go to, you know, commercial districts in your city, but how many vacant commercial storefronts are you seeing these days? How many empty spots in your local malls are you witnessing? And they try to, you know, wrap, put something over the empty space. We're redesigning for you with you and all this bull crap. And man, look, it's empty. And nobody's trying to rent that stuff. People can't afford it. Companies can't afford it. People aren't spending anymore because the credit squeeze is popping. House sales are down. House of uh, new home applications for mortgages are down. It's getting crazy. It's going to happen slow, and that's that's how this system is set up. It happens slow, and it's little nudges and and, and little things. So it's not blatantly in your face. And, you know, the slower it moves, the more we accept it. You're going to turn around and wake up in a nightmare. I suggest you get to it. Admin at welcometothefoundation.com. You want to do a consultation. Um, you want to jump in this trustee training. If you've been interested in private family foundations with our tax exempt, email me. You can also check out www.welcometothefoundation.com. Check out the PDF section, sign up for the email list, so on and so forth. I do want to say in the next week or so, we're working on putting all of the episodes of the foundation from 2018 on the YouTube page. So I don't know if you've subscribed. If you haven't subscribed to the YouTube page of the foundation, you should subscribe because we're about to drop a whole bunch of content on there. And we've been working up to this. A lot of editing going on. We're also going to we're also going to drop the um, Passport No Social webinar recording if you're interested in that. Uh, Brother Chris L. lets you know how to get your hands on a passport without using your social. He did an extensive webinar. We're editing the, the footage. And if you're interested in your hands on that webinar, Passport No Social, email me. Admin at welcometothefoundation.com. Just put in the header, Passport No Social. And I'll hit you back and let you know what you need to do to get your hands on that webinar. More than likely, um, we're going to send out DVDs. More than likely. Uh, we might send out flash drives, but it's not. It's, I doubt it's going to be like a link available or something that you can just, you know, um, get, get a hold of on the website. I, don't, no, I doubt we're going to do it like that. So it's more than likely going to be a DVD sent to you in the mail or some like flash drive, physical flash drive sent to you in the mail. This is how we're going to get out, you know, this passport with no social webinar. Like I said, if you're interested, email us at welcometothefoundation.com. Also, make sure if you're looking for any type of funding, credit funding, so on and so forth, check our previous episodes when we had Teron L. on, but he's... um. He's associated with a, a great company, in my opinion. It's called Lenders Pocket. You can check him out at LendersPocket.com. Um, for the special treatment, Teron said you want to put the referral number 1016 on your application. Teron himself grabs all of those applications with that referral number, and he handles those personally. If you don't want to, that's fine. You can leave it blank. I don't, whatever. Make one up. But Ron L. He's a regular guest here on the foundation. And he works exclusively with Lenders Pocket. 
Um, and if you put 1016 on your application for um, credit funding, he personally puts his hands on those and he, he handles them personally. Give you a call personally. Email you personally. So we got a lot of stuff going on. We got a bunch of stuff going on the YouTube page. We're going to start winding up more of the email list. We're going to start putting out more content on the email list. More content going on the YouTube page. We got the Passport No Social webinar that's about to be ready. As well as we got Taronnell with Lenders Pocket who's allowing, you know, credit funding. And, um, you know, we're just going to keep working. Just keep adding to the to the mix. So... That's going to be the wrap-up. Definitely going to be the wrap-up. Oh, if you're interested in carrot bars, I'm, I'm back on carrot bars. They did some new stuff. They, the, the grams of gold are cheaper, and now this stuff is cheaper than any place else I can find. They got a crypto coin, a carrot bars, crypto coin. They got a lot of stuff going on at carrot bars. So I'm back on my carrot bars grind. If you want to start acquiring gold at very, very cheap prices and anonymously, like straight up, then uh, be sure to email me. Email me at admin at welcome to the foundation.com. Get you signed up. Get you all set up. You can be a customer. You can be an affiliate. You just grab gold. Uh, I get it sent to you. It's, it's in grams. It's cost, cost, cost effective. I mean, buy one gram a month, man. I afford that. Email me. We gotta figure out some alternative forms of income for you, but lots of lots of stuff in the works, you know, especially for this year. So I'm I'm really looking forward to it. So welcome to the foundation.com. Sign up for the email list. Check out the PDF section. And as always, you know, continue to study, 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 and you know, email me if you need any assistance. If there's any way I can serve you. So I'm not going to be going to the phone lines because this was a long episode. I appreciate everybody. I love y'all. If y'all got anything that you need, y'all don't be email admin at welcome to the foundation.com. I trust that y'all learn something from the show. Something, you know, the show opens your horizons or, you know, something. I just, I don't want to give y'all, you know, pertinent information and things that you can use. If you have any um, suggestions, I take suggestions. Admin at welcome to the foundation.com. I'm going to say that email. Y'all are going to have it memorized. Definitely. But I love y'all. And I do this for y'all. And, you know, I trust that y'all have a better day tomorrow. And you have a, a great week. And I'll catch you next week here on High Frequency Radio Network. And here on the foundation, I'm your host, Soel. I really appreciate you. Thank you very much. Y'all have a great, great week. Take care of yourself. Love yourself. And I'll talk to you soon. Peace and blessings. And as always, peace to the gods. Doing this thing all the way live. High Frequency Radio.